some of you remain standing, and I'll ask those who have not to stand again, because we're going to be reading the word once more from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. John 14, we'll be reading verse 12 that we took up um, two weeks ago, because it is part of the whole that we're considering, John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. The greater and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thus far, word of God, let us pray. Father, at people we have assembled for worship, we come now to hear the word of God, even Christ speaking from the word. We praise you, O Lord God, that you meet with us, uh, that you have set your affection upon us before the foundation of the earth in Christ Jesus, and that you, in the fullness of time, sent your Son into the world to save sinners, that you uh, are sent him as God incarnate, born of a woman, made under the law, that he, living under the law perfectly and dying for our sins, has redeemed us as a people unto God. O Lord, bless us as we hear of this wonderful promise that you've made to us. May it resonate in our hearts, and may we go forth rejoicing with greater confidence to pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Children, we all like to feel important, don't we? Uh, your parents, too. We like to feel important. We like to be recognized when we go someplace. And we like to have special privileges. Uh, when I go into the place where my son works, uh, inevitably there will be somebody ask me, oh, can I help you? And I say, well, I'm Derek's father. And immediately there's, there's a respect. There's a, a recognition. There's a special treatment because you know, they know Derek, and he's been there many years, and I'm his father. And that just affords me some special treatment that other people don't get. Sometimes a man will take his wife out to a special restaurant for some celebratory meal, and he'll get there only to find out, well, this restaurant, you had to have reservations, and all the reservations, or all the tables are taken. That's what they tell you. And so sometimes the man will say, well, I happen to know the chef, the chief chef. You know, he drops a name. Or maybe he says, I know the owner. You know, maybe he's my brother-in-law. You're thinking that by dropping a name, they get some access. If that doesn't work... Um, that man might introduce the mater d, that's the guy that's at the door, to Benjamin Franklin or maybe Ulysses S. Grant. Now, Benjamin Franklin's on the $100 bill, and Ulysses S. Grant's on the $50 bill. In other words, he's seeking to get that access, to get that special treatment uh, with essentially a bribe, buying himself a seat for his wife and himself to enjoy a special meal. We also like to show off by dropping names, don't we? It's, it's one of our things, children. That's when a person says, oh, I, I met someone once time, and, and you think, oh, that's great. You know, for example, I flew on an air flight, uh, airplane one time, and Dolly Parton was on board. You know, there was a little bit of a stir, and she came down, and she's shaking hands, and green people came to me. It was very genuine, very nice. You know? And you're like, hey, I met Dolly Parton. You know? We like to drop names. It makes us feel important, or we think it gives us better access in certain situations. You know, being related to certain people also do that. And I'm related to some people um, by uh, my mother's side, like James Fenimore Cooper. And you're like, who's that? Well, that's one of the great authors of the past, but obviously not great enough because most of you don't even know who that is. Or do you remember President Millard Fillmore? Yeah, again, you know, unless you've been studying the presidents, but again, you're related. You know, we might put these things out there because we want access. We want to uh, impress others. We want special treatment or we hope to be heard. In our reform circles, we might like to say that, you know, there was a time in the past that I, I had a wonderful conversation with Sinclair Ferguson or Al Mohler or Ligon Duncan, the uh, chancellor for Reformed Theological Seminary, is a friend of mine. These things are true. But they're not, you know, what, what are we hoping to accomplish yeah, we by doing that, and that's the way the world operates, you know, dropping names, uh, speaking of relationships, seeking to gain access into special places. Perhaps you don't really know anyone famous or you know, you're not related to anybody famous. You might feel small, insignificant, or unimportant. 
And when somebody shows off, you might say, well, I don't have anything I can do with that. But here is a marvelous truth. Here is a marvelous truth. This is what our text is about. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Savior and Redeemer, if you've been washed with his blood and purchased unto God, you have the greatest connection ever. There is no greater connection, no greater relationship, no better relation to have. You know the one who was sent to redeem you. The Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into the world to save sinners. And to know Jesus gives you complete access to God the Father Almighty. We can come to him. And you know what? You can't buy your way in. Benjamin Franklin or Ulysses S. Grant will do nothing to get you access with the Father, the Lord of glory. No, knowing no famous person will make any difference. You just come in Jesus' name and make your requests known to God. We're in John 14. And in John 14, Jesus gives these wonderful words uh, the, the thrust, if, um, just, just listen with you. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. John 14, in it, God, uh, Christ gives words of comfort to his church. So you could sum up John 14 as Christ giving words of comfort to his church. John 15, he gives words of admonition. That is, he's exhorting us, encouraging us to spur us on to do certain things. In John 16, he gives words of prediction, or you might think prophecy. And in word, or chapter 17, Jesus uh, gives a word of prayer. He prays for himself. He prays for the 11 men that are with him. He prays for the church. Jesus prays for us. We will be covering all these chapters in the coming months. But here is words of comfort in John 14. In the midst of it, Jesus says to the 11 apostles in the upper room who represent the church, these are the foundation stones, if you will, of the church. Jesus says something marvelous about prayer. He says that we, his people, can and should pray often and with boldness. Children, when you're wanting something from your father, you don't uh, try to find somebody to say, hey, will you uh, go talk to my father on my behalf? Will, you, will we go and negotiate with my father or my mother because there's something I want? What do you do, children? You, you just go to your father and say, Daddy, I need this. Daddy, I want this. Maybe we say that a lot as children, right? But why? It's because you have that relationship with your father. You can just go and ask him. For a father delights to give his children good things. That's not to say he will give you everything, right, children? We need a father that has wisdom. Well, the main point we want to go away with today is that every Christian, everyone bought with the blood of Christ, has access to the throne of God in Jesus' name. We have access to the throne of God in Jesus' name. We can and we should bring all our requests to God in prayer with a full confidence that he hears and he answers us. We can use four main headings. First, the main thing would be the, where we spend the bulk of our time is on praying to the Father in Jesus' name. But then we'll consider what should we pray for? And then qualifications for prayer or of prayer. And then finally, the goal of prayer. Why are we to pray? We see the focus of prayer. We want to begin with praying to the Father in Jesus' name, which is what Jesus lays out in the text. He says that whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Early on in Jesus' ministry, the disciples asked him, teach us to pray. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, we find Jesus giving the church the prayer, the prayer that we've prayed just a few moments ago. We find a parallel passage in uh, Luke 11. You will some of you will remember when Pastor Tony was preaching through that. Very similar. Um, some people take him to be the same setting. I don't. I think when I preached through Luke that I consider the sermon that's there was a sermon on the plain, whereas the other was a sermon on the mountain, and those are given there. But the point is Jesus teaches the church to pray. We've just prayed, prayed that prayer, and so I'll not read it, but I just want you to consider when we come to God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross changes our relationship with God. 
What Jesus has done for us changes our relationship with God. That's why we've been encouraged to come this morning. That's why uh, we have a desire to come, a delight to come. That's why there's love in our hearts to come and to worship God because what Jesus has done changes our relationship with God. God is now our Father. Before God's grace and working in our heart, bringing what Christ has accomplished and applying it to us, we're rebels. We're contrary to God. We're against God. And we need someone to reconcile us to God. And that is what Jesus has done. So once we were rebels, once we were disobedient, once we were contrary, once we were outside of the household of faith, and now in Christ Jesus we're in the household of the faith. We're new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We have a new relationship with God so that we call him our Father. This has been completed by our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross... Christ, as our high priest, offered himself up as a sacrifice for sin. He paid the penalty that we owed. But when that work was completed upon his resurrection, he doesn't cease to be our high priest. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Read about it in Acts. that He ascended up into the clouds, went back to heaven, and he is seated on God's throne in our flesh forever and ever. And there... He makes intercession for us. Children, what that means is when we pray, Jesus, it's like he takes that prayer and he turns to his father, father's right hand, so he's over here. No, he's on the father's right and he turns over here. I get my direction straight. have my stone in the right hand so I know what's life left and right, correct? They take a prayer and it's a, he turns to the father. He says, this is from my child. This is from one I've purchased. This is one that I've paid. And here's the prayer. And then we're taught elsewhere in Scripture, Scripture, Our prayers are often weak, confused. Uh, We stammer, we stutter. Sometimes we just don't know how to pray. There's something on our hearts, and we don't know how to say it. And Paul writes in Romans that the Spirit takes our prayers, even the deep groanings of our heart, and offers them up through Christ to the Father. So we have this marvelous access to the Father in Jesus' name. As a born-again people, we're no longer shut out of heaven. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus has opened heaven's gate. We can come to the Father and ask for anything in Jesus' name. We don't need a human priest, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. We don't need to bring a sacrifice. We don't need to come with, with blood, uh, an animal, to be offered up so that we can be accepted in God's sight. Why, children? Because Jesus' blood speaks for us. It is there in heaven on the mercy seat forever speaking on our behalf. Think about that. We've just heard from Isaiah of this God who is the creator of all, the creator over all, who spoke when there was nothing and by the word of his power he created all things when he spoke. That's That's power beyond our understanding. This God who is seated on the throne that Isaiah beheld him. And it was such a glorious sight that Isaiah fell on his face. He could not look upon God arrayed in his glory. For he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. But there was atonement for him. This God who is over all gives us access to him in his son the angels surround him in the throne. Ten thousands of ten thousands. There's, there's so many that the human authors, as they're speaking to them, they, they don't know the number of the angels. And so some translations say myriads and myriads, ten thousands of ten thousands. There's this host of angelic beings in heaven around the throne of God, and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We are told that he is so brilliant in his holiness that it's like an unapproachable light that is so intense we cannot look even as Isaiah himself had to fall beholding that presence we get to go to that God in prayer he's our father and we can go in Jesus name and make our requests known to God John 14 13 Jesus teaches that we are to ask in his name and he will do it what do we learn from this Well, first thing I want us to consider is we learn that Jesus has been teaching 
throughout John's gospel, particularly in the last couple of chapters, it's what's got him in trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's been teaching that he and the Father are one. He's declared that he is the Son of God. He's declared that he does the will of the Father. He only does what he sees his Father doing. That's pretty remarkable. He's on earth, and yet through the Holy Spirit, he knows the will of the Father. He does the will of the Father. He's one with the Father. That's one God, the Father, and the Son have one will. So Jesus can tell us that we can ask in his name and the Father will give it. Because what the Father wants and what the Son wants and what the Holy Spirit wants, they're one God and three persons, and there's one will in God. There's, there's not a conflict. There's not a negotiating. There's not an argument. Sometimes, children, you've heard your parents arguing, right? You know, one thinks this and the other thinks that. They don't have that oneness all the time like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have. And so because of this oneness, Jesus can say, you ask the Father in my name. And I will do it. There's no disagreement. Closely connected to this, we learn that Jesus is the one who does it. Even as he lived on the earth, he was doing the will of the Father. Notice what he says in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, we're praying to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. I think about in creation, God spoke, and who's the word of God? Christ is the word of God. That's how John's gospel opens. And that word that the Father spoke was the Son, and the power that went out to accomplish it was the Holy Spirit. And that's still true today. We pray to the Father, and the Son speaks, and the Holy Spirit accomplishes what Jesus has sent forth to be done. What we see in Jesus' statement here, in verse 13, the absolute unity of our God. Jesus is making a claim of deity. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, he is saying, I am God. Jesus is God. And that's why we need to look beyond you know, the idea of Jesus born in a manger, you know, a helpless little child held by mother, his mother Mary. That was true. But even as that was true, he was God Almighty. One with the Father. And so, as Mary held him, he is the God, the creator, sustained her, sustained Mary in her very being. Jesus is fully God and full of glory. And therefore, he can promise that whatever we ask, he will do. He's able to do it. Now, think about that. Children, remember what the scene is? Jesus is in the upper room. They've eaten the Passover meal. John doesn't record it, but in that context, he gives the church the Lord's Supper that we will take in a a few moments. And so here's Jesus reclining at a table, laying on his left side, most likely, eating with his apostles. And what does he say to them? He looks like the rest of them. He looks like a man at the table. And Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, they would have had some encouragement to believe that was so. They have seen Jesus do mighty miracles. They were there at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus spoke to a man who was four days dead, who everybody smelled the stench of his death when the stone was rolled away, and they saw Jesus calling forth, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. He walked forth in new life. This Jesus makes his glorious promise. God incarnate was still with him. But remember, this is a a chapter of promises. Remember, we begin with the promise of Jesus saying, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. But even as I'm going away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. And in the meanwhile, Jesus says, you can pray in my name. Ask what you will, and I will give it. So thirdly, we learn that praying in Jesus' name is the greater part of the greater works that Jesus says we will do. Again, verse 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And then immediately after that, Jesus makes his promise, connected to that promise, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So what do we learn about the greater works that we're called to do? Largely, that's proclaiming the gospel to the nations. We can't do that apart from Christ. And so Christ is saying, as you go forth, church, as individuals, my people, as you're going into the world to proclaim the gospel of Christ, you need me. 
Come, pray, petition, ask, and I will do. Because Jesus has obeyed the will of the Father and laid down his life for the people, his people, the Father has given all things into his hand. We sing Psalm 2 regularly. And you children might remember that when we sing Psalm 2, we hear how Christ, the Son of God, that the Father has seated him on his throne. The nations are raging. They're against God. They're trying to overthrow God. They want to cast him down. And God says, God laughs. Because he's set his king. He has set his son on the throne. And Christ is ruling over all the nations. And the Father has given them to him. Now as God the Son, all these things were his. But now he is God incarnate. Jesus of Nazareth. Mary's son. And he in his humanity, he is exalted in a glorified state. And the Father has given the rule of all things into his hand. I believe it's in the book of Hebrews we're told that Jesus will rule, he's subduing until he's brought everything under his dominion, under his feet, then he will give it to the Father. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. So when we look at the world affairs, you hear the headlines, or you pull out your phone and you pull up some news feed that you're following and you see these alarming things, remember this, Jesus is seated on the throne. The Father has given the nations to him. And so we can pray, Lord, grant me peace in Jesus' name. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. We're going to hear more about that next week. But in this context, just want to give you a foreshadowing that connected to this. Jesus says that he will send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that's also connected with our praying, as I said moments ago. So let's just kind of think about what we've heard from this passage. He came down from the Father, that is, Jesus came from the Father to save sinners and bring them home to God. And he's gone to prepare a home in heaven for us. We've learned from the John's Gospel, the God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And at the point Jesus is speaking, he's just hours away from giving himself on the cross, suffering, bearing the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He's just moments from that work of salvation. And then shortly after that, a matter of days, when that work's completed, he's rose again, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. How much does God love us? We heard about love for neighbor just a few moments ago. How much does God love us? What does that love look like? What is the love of God for us? It's sacrificial. He gave his son. That's how much the Father loves us. He gave his only begotten son so that we can be saved. And indeed, in Christ, we are saved. This is how much the Father loves us. Jesus loves us so much that he willingly lived an obedient life that we should live, and he willingly suffered and died to pay the penalty that we deserve. We also understand that Jesus knows all that we need all along life's road, and he has promised that whatever we need, he will supply So that summary, we want to follow with just a few questions of application. Dear child of God, are you using this promise of Jesus in your life? Do you go to the Father in Jesus' name with a confidence? Are you going often? I think most of us say, not nearly as often as I should. We need to go to the Father often. Are you regular to go to the Father with Jesus' name? Have you ever been hesitant to go to the Father? Because you look at your life, there's things that are not right, there's sin, there's disarray, disorder. Have you been reluctant to go? Notice Jesus doesn't say, you know, come to the Father in my name, but first, you know, fix this, take care of that, clean up this mess. No, he says, come. Indeed, it's when we're in those circumstances, we could come. You know, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name. Wash me in Jesus' name. Cleanse me from my sin. Restore to me a right relationship. Renew the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart. In Jesus' name. We can go to the Father. In Jesus' name. Anytime and every time. What a marvelous promise. 
Well, then, secondly, I want us to consider, what shall we pray for? At this point, is pretty much all application. We consider, you know, we, we know we have access to the Father. We can go to the Father in Jesus' name. That's where we're launching from. Well, what do we go to the Father with? What, what prayers, what petitions, what requests should we make unto God? As Jesus said, if we ask anything, notice it's qualified in his name. We're going to come to that in a moment. He will do it. Jesus says this in the context right after verse 12. We're to be doing we're going to be doing greater works than he has done. Greater in scope. The church has been doing works for many generations, multiple times more than what Jesus did when he was physically on the earth. And so that should inform us that our prayers should be connected to this wonderful promise that Jesus has, been, has made to us, that we're to do greater works. We should be praying, Lord, equip me to do these greater works. Lord, arrange the details of my day. Give me relationships so that I can do these works. Strengthen me. Give me the words to say. Give me a boldness. Give me a confidence in you. Surely we should pray for that. All that Jesus did was the will of the Father, Right? We've heard that again and again and again. Surely you will go away from the book of John knowing that Jesus did all the will of the Father. Even you children can understand that. So what should our desire to be? Do you think Jesus is saying you can ask anything in my name? And you can say, oh, good, I can have my will. I can have whatever I want. No. Like Jesus, we should be praying to the Father for things according to his will. Everything that Jesus did was to bring glory to the Father, to bring the kingdom. Remember, John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus came, the kingdom of heaven was coming, it came in Christ, he ushered it in. And everything that Jesus did was according to the will of the Father, it was all directed to the glory of God. And even so, we must make that our focus. I, I think we struggle to ungrasp this. What Jesus is saying here, what we get to pray about, what we're involved in, this grand enterprise, this glorious uh, purpose that God has in bringing sinners to himself, it's awesome. It's amazing. We sing of amazing grace, but sometimes I think we forget how amazing it is. God, the holy God, we talked about just a little bit ago, saves sinners. And he involves us in that process. He sends us as the church into the world to be salt and light, to carry the message of the gospel to others, to the glory of God the Father. And we should be praying about this, that we would carry the gospel to those around us, everywhere we go. We certainly cannot do that in our own strength. Be honest. What do we do? What do we accomplish when we're operating in our own strengths? We stumble, we stagger, we sin, we fumble around, we stutter, we get misdirected. Surely we should pray the Father that he would equip us to do his holy will. That is where we should begin, that we should do the holy will of God. Jesus was fully man and yet fully God. His humanity was the same nature as ours, yet without sin. But we need to understand that yet without sin doesn't change reality. His, his humanity was like ours. You know, that if he hit his hand, a thumb with a hammer, it hurt. Uh, little children, some of you are at that age where you're learning to ride bicycles and other things, and you fall down and you scrape your knee and it bleeds, right? Well, if Jesus fell down and scraped his knee, it bled. He had the same he still has the same humanity. His is now glorified as ours will be one day. But he was in the same humanity as us. And so he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit who filled him. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he anointed him as Messiah. He was set apart to God as Jehovah, as God's servant, the anointed one. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit, we say, without measure. That is to say, there was no limit. He was full as full can be of the Holy Spirit. And in his humanity, he depended upon the Holy Spirit to do all the Father's will. How much more so us? As I said moments ago, yeah, we're prone to sin, right? We're to stumble. 
So we want to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's to be one of the things we pray for. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. There are days when I've been convicted of sin that I've committed, and I'm mindful that when we sin, particularly in that rebellious, willful sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit, the very one we need to strengthen and empower us to do the Father's will. And so there's times we need to pray, Father, you've given me the Spirit, and Holy Spirit, I ask you, forgive me for grieving you or quenching you. And would you indeed work in me as God the Father has ordained? So when we consider that we are human, we're sinful, we pray for these things. It makes sense that we can also, should also ask of God what God alone can supply. We should pray for wisdom. And indeed, James opens his little letter with that. You know, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives generously. He doesn't chasten us, take us to task because we ask for wisdom. We should pray for wisdom. We should pray for power. We're going to do these greater works than Jesus has done. We need to pray for power. And we need the Holy Spirit to go before us. We should pray that the Lord, the Holy Spirit would go before us in our day so that we can do the will of the Father, that we can walk in the fullness of the Spirit. So we learn that our prayers should be for these things. Now we heard in the previous point that Jesus taught the church to make our prayers unto God the Father. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism is a marvelous tool when we consider our prayer. We pray the Lord's Prayer. And in the Shorter Catechism, beginning in 99, uh, through to the end of the Shorter Catechism, I believe it's 107, that we have... Uh, an explanation of what we pray for in the various petitions of the Lord's Prayer. In the first petition, we say for his, we pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth. We just, we have it memorized. It flows off our lips. It's easy for us just to say those words and even to be thinking about something else. But think about what we're praying for. This is something we should pray for. We can take that, say, okay, I know we're supposed to pray for this, and we should take it and pray it more explicitly, to expand on it. That first petition teaches us and that we should ask God to enable us and others to glorify him in all whereby he makes himself known and that he would dispose of all things for his glory. We're praying for God's will to be done, not the will of man. We also pray that Satan King, Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace would be advanced in ourselves and others brought in it and kept in it. And that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. In a sense, we're praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. We should be praying for these things. The third petition is, your will be done on earth. In that one, we pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and the kingdom of grace would be advanced. So I just said, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread. Children, that's not just saying, Lord, put food on the table. It's, it's certainly that, and we need the Lord to supply us with food. But we're also praying that God's free gift, by God's free gift, we may receive a competent, that is a sufficient, an adequate portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessings in them. So that what that means, children, if God supplies us breakfast when it's time to eat breakfast, he's answered that prayer. If he gives us lunch, when it's time to eat lunch, he gives us that prayer. And then at supper, if he gives us, or maybe it's just one very sufficient meal, as it was for some, and it even is for some in the church today, that God would supply us what we need to sustain our lives, that he would give us enough clothes to be clothed and warm. And yet, what do we think about, children? Think about your homes. If you go with your mom into the kitchen, what can she do? She'll open the refrigerator, and it's full. And, and many have those, those big double-door refrigerators, Right? Is that a competent portion? That's more than. And we can go to cupboards and open up closets even. We call them pantries, and they're full of food. And we have chest freezers full of frozen food. We have an abundance of food. Has God blessed us with more than what we need? He surely has. And so sometimes when we pray, Lord, give us enough food for today that we don't really mean it. There's such an abundance that we become careless in considering that that which we have has come from God's hand. And even though we have that abundance, we should continue to pray, Lord, give us enough for this day. Enough of the other things, too. 
as the catechism says, the good things of this life, and the ability to enjoy them with his blessing. In the fifth petition, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are encouraged to ask, because by his grace we are enabled from a heart to forgive others. Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Can you do that on your own? I can't. I can't forgive others on my own. I need God's grace. We should pray for that. Maybe there's a little tension between some of your children. You've been playing with a toy, and there's an argument. There's a fight over the toy. And you remember, oh, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive my sins even as I forgive the sin of my brother or my sister. That's what we're called to do. We should pray for these things. The sixth petition we pray, and it's, it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray that God would either keep us when we are being tempted to sin, or support and deliver us. I'm sorry, um, that God will either keep us from being tempted to sin, or support and deliver us when we are tempted to sin. Because we're going to be tempted. We pray, Lord, protect us from those things. Do not send those things. In your providence, keep me from opportunities to sin. Surely he does that. We have plenty of temptations on our own, but just think about you know, the thousands of other ones that are out there. If you wanted to go looking for them, you could find them. But especially that the Lord would keep us when we are tempted. In the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It teaches us to take encouragement in prayer from God only, which is what Jesus is teaching here. And in our prayers to praise him, ascribe kingdom, power, and glory to him, and a testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say, amen. So I think most of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized. Even some of you children of a young age have the Lord's Prayer memorized. Think about that when you pray. Let each of those petitions direct you, inform you to think about how to pray, what to pray about when you pray in Jesus' name. Now, children, I'm anticipating that you might say, children, are you listening to me? I'm anticipating that you might say, well, pastor, Jesus says anything. That's what it says. (laughs) Does that mean that I can pray for a new puppy? Is that an anything? Or a new set of Legos, or a bicycle, or a Nintendo Switch, or whatever it is you're craving. Or that my brother or sister will be nice to me, or for me to get better grades in school. Can we pray about these things? Or maybe adults will say, I'm praying for a promotion. Can I pray for that? Or a pay raise, or a new car, or enough money to get braces for my son or daughter. All those things are things that we may desire. We should pray for all these things in Jesus' name. So what Jesus is teaching his people is that uh, he is able to supply a sufficient sufficient portion. He is able to supply what we need. And so maybe he knows you don't need a Nintendo Switch. Pretty cool, I guess. My son has one. I've messed with it a little bit. But you may not really need that. It may seem to be a distraction. If you had one in your house, maybe that's why I don't have one in my house, I might spend too much time playing that and not have the sermon ready. Or neglect prayer, right? Well, there's, there's things. Or, you know, our phones, we whip them out and time goes by and we'll spend 30 minutes on the phone looking at nonsense and we'll have three minutes for prayer. You know, so sometimes the Lord withholds things that we pray for because he knows they will interfere. So when Jesus says anything in my name, that's a qualification, and we're going to consider that in the next point. But before we leave this point is what we should pray for. When you think about the Lord's Prayer and you think about the things that Jesus prayed for, we could sum it up in this. We should be praying for kingdom concerns. We should be for praying for the expanding of the kingdom of God. As we heard, you know, that more would be brought into it. We should be praying for the building up of the church, for the holiness of the church. We should be praying for one another that we will walk holy before the Lord. We should be praying for moms and dads to have wisdom to care for their children, even as we would pray for our own selves. We should be praying for these things that have an eternal significance. We should be praying that the Lord would raise up 
workers, preachers to go into the fields that are white unto harvest. And to that end, we should pray for seminaries, faithful seminaries to equip these men. And we do pray, and should pray, that Christ will build his church so that it is complete. And the last one brought in, and as John closes the last of the scriptures, that the Lord Jesus would come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. All these things are what we focus on. And when Christ is seen as king, and when Christ is king in our hearts, that will govern the anything that we will pray about. And we may ask for a new puppy. Your mom might be praying, no new puppy. <laughs> um, but ultimately, God will know whether a new puppy is best for you or not. And we can trust his answers. Well, let's consider thirdly the qualifications of prayer. Many Jesus today know, well, I'm supposed to pray in Jesus' name, amen. And it's just like a little thing. You know, I'm wrapping up my prayer, and so I, I got to throw this on the end. In Jesus' name, amen. I just spit it out. For some, it doesn't mean anything other than I know I'm supposed to do it. Uh, for many, they give little or no thought to what it is that they're saying. There's a preacher from the past. He told how he was once asked by a man. He was given him a note by this man. He, he says, you know, I've been a church member for many years. I think it was like 30, 35 years. He was director of the Christian education program in the church for 25 years. And he had been a, an elder for two decades. And then the note goes on to the preacher. He says, and yet, I don't think God hears my prayer. He never answers my prayers. The preacher goes on to say that uh, the problem was that he prayed expecting God to answer him because of all the work he had done. The positions that he's held in the church. That wise preacher informed him that God does not answer us based on who we are or what we've done. It's based on who Jesus is and what he has done. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. What claims do I have on God? Can I come to God and say, hey, God, I've done this. You owe me. No, the reality is children, parents, one and all, we owe everything. You know, we sing hymns, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's true. We owe everything. Everything that we've received is a gift. It's not wages. God has not paid us back. But sometimes we think that when we pray. I've had my daily quiet time for a month straight. Now, Lord, I want that pay raise. We can't pray that way. When we pray in Jesus' name, by good and necessary consequence, we understand that we're praying for his will to be done. When we say it's in his name, it must be in, according to his will, according to what he's about, and according to his purposes. Such a prayer must come from a heart of faith in Jesus because of our union with him, our will will learn to be united to his will. That we pray according to his will, even as Jesus' prayers were according to the will of the Father. Everything that Jesus did was according to the will of the Father. And the more we grow in Christ, the more our will will be like his will. Jesus does this very thing. Most of you know that when Jesus prayed in the garden, Right before he was arrested, he knew his hour had come and that he had a cup of the wrath of God to drink before he's led away to be crucified. And he says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There's a, an author, I think it's Jan Karen's her name, and um, she writes, I think, from a, a Lutheran perspective. Uh, but one of the things I wholeheartedly agree with her, she, she has the, the, the pastor and the central character in her book um, as they're living their life. One of the things she says over and over again through her books is she's, she talks about the prayer that never fails. This is what she's talking about. The prayer that never fails is, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's a prayer that never fails. And whatever we're praying for, we should always come with that attitude. And it's even helpful to say it. Not my will, but your will be done. And when we pray in Jesus' name, that's really what we're submitting to. That what God's will is will be done. Now, there's some things that we can rule out. If we're praying in Jesus' name, listen to me, children. Think about this. You can't say, Father, I want you to help me murder my neighbor and get away with it. In Jesus' name. That's just absurd. 
That's blasphemous. And so Jesus isn't saying anything in that all-encompassing sense. There's just some things we know we cannot pray for, right? If it's in Jesus' name, it should be always things according to his will and always submitted to him. Not my will, but thine be done. So just an application, a couple other things to consider. Does this mean that I should not pray for a winded blackjack at the casino or that the Yankees will win the World Service Series or that Putin will suddenly die? These are not things we should pray for. We should ask God to give us money that we need through laborers or a gift from a friend and not a win through gambling. We should pray that God would convict all evil rulers of their sins and give them a new heart and faith to look unto Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's how we should view these things. Well, finally, we want to come to the goal or the focus. Why are we to pray? Well, I think first and foremost, let's remember Westminster Short Catechism. Many of you children know that. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, Everything we're to do is to glorify God. So when we pray, we should be praying for the glory of God. And notice what Jesus says in the latter part of verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's how Jesus lived his life on earth. That's how Jesus died his death on the cross, that the Father would be glorified in the Son. We heard that earlier as Jesus was saying, So now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. That's the previous chapter, verses 31 and 32. And that should be our goal and our end. Our prayers should always be made for things that glorify our Father in heaven, who is altogether holy. We we shouldn't be praying for unholy things. When Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's the focus is on God. What he is doing, what his plan, his agenda. And so we should come with big prayers. We should come with bold prayers. And Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And right after that, he taught that the purpose for this answer in his prayer is that the Father would be glorified in the Son. Isn't it true that sometimes we pray and ask for things for our own glory? Right? Sometimes we do. Jesus says, no, we're to pray so that the God, the God, the Father will be glorified. We're not to pray selfishly. We're to pray for the Father's glory, that the Father be glorified in the Son. So here's the truth. As we grow to become more like Jesus, we will learn to pray more like Jesus We will learn to say, like John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. The focus is on what God's doing and on God and his glory. John the Baptist was a martyr. Herod imprisoned him. You can imagine that he prayed to be released. His disciples were. They were praying that he would be released, that he'd be set free. But that was not God's will. God would be glorified by John being martyred. But then there was also... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who were seized by King Nebuchadnezzar and threatened with a fire that he was heating up seven times hotter. And what was their confidence? They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, God will deliver us out of your hand. You can throw us in that fire and we'll be burned up, but we're going to be with God immediately. But they also were confident that God could deliver them through the fire. And indeed, he did, because it glorified him. And that one of those remarkable stories how many of you children know that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? That's one of my favorite stories as a child. It's just amazing. A furnace so hot that the men who carried those three to toss them in, they died. And those three were walking around in the fire. Who did that? God. Who's glorified? God. Who sustained John the Baptist even to the point of being beheaded? God, God was glorified in all. And that's our focus, and that's what Jesus is teaching here. And so we want to remember this simple principle. Our prayers, the focus of our prayers must be that God the Father would be glorified in his Son. It's not about us. Our prayers, every petition should be offered up and surrendered to God so that everything that Jesus gives will result in the Father being glorified.
Our theme in this sermon has been, every Christian has access to the throne of God in Jesus' name. We can and we should bring all our requests to God with a full confidence that he hears us and that he will answer us. Remember, look at verse 14. Jesus underscores. He says what he's already said. He says it again that we be clear. It's almost like him saying assuredly or amen, amen. He says this twice. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. By the word, anything Jesus, Jesus gives us a broad scope. Anything in accordance with the will of God that is consistent with God being glorified in our eternal well-being, we can ask for it. Beyond these two, two things, there's no limit. We come with our prayers to he who is the king of kings. He is the greatest king of all, and he delights to give kingly gifts to his children. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do marvel at this stunning promise. Lord, oh, that we would meditate it on today and discuss it in our homes. Lord, that we would wonder upon wonder that Jesus made such a bold promise to his people. That we can ask anything in his name. And he will grant it. Father, we think particularly on the the reality that Christ is building his kingdom on the earth and that we have been brought into it and it is our responsibility to labor for the glory of our king that others will be brought into it. Father, we confess we are often captivated by the things of this world, things that are fleeting, things that are passing away, things that will be burned up when Jesus comes again and we neglect the things that endure. Father, we thank you that you're mindful of what we need while we live here below. But Lord, we would pray as your people, as a church, give us eyes to see your purpose, your plan, what you're doing in the earth, bringing sinners to yourself through the Son by the working of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we desire to be part of that, to delight to be part of that, We would have a confidence that we can speak to others of this glorious message, good news of the gospel, knowing that it is your will that Christ be announced to those that are perishing, those that sit in darkness. Father, we all have family members that are perishing. Lord, having heard this word, give us great encouragement to go forth praying and speaking with boldness and look for you to do the work of redemption. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.